This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon, a unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, award-winning pistols and revolvers. Mossberg, American built, American strong. Habit, our gear, your adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires, brought to you this time from a bear camp up in Alberta, Canada, right. up close to the Northwest Territories. And if you hear noises in the background, it's because all the guys are getting ready for this afternoon's hunt. Got Mr. David Draper with me. David and I met years ago. Yeah. Through Cabela's. That's right. So, so I worked at Cabela's for about a dozen years, you know, working with your sort of type, the outdoor media, and we met somewhere down the trail. And I'm, it's hard for me to remember where because we've been around a little bit of time. <laughs> not too long. We're not that old. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm going to tell you this much, though. The only guy that I know that's older than I am that still writes happens to write a back page for you, and his name is Jim Zumba. Jim Zumba, <laughs> one of my favorites. And, and he does write the back page there at Peterson's Hunting. So. And if you haven't guessed by now, David is the editor of Peterson's Hunting. David, you came from, started off on a farm in Nebraska, right? That's right. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I grew up a farm kid. My dad um, was a big-time waterfowler, so I did a lot of duck hunting growing up. Didn't start big game hunting until college. I met some guys who were big game hunters. But, yeah, I grew up on the North Platte River shooting a lot of waterfowl and then spending my summer on the tractor. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up out in the country as well, too. But at that time, we didn't have a tractor. <laughs> we were in the chicken business, the hog business, the oh, cattle business. Goodness. We fed, had our own feedlots and all that kind of stuff. And I happened to be the automatic waterer and the automatic <laughs> feeder. Yeah. That's some hard work. <laughs> five gallon buckets, you know, full of water and 100 pound sacks of grain kind of thing. But it, it, 
I wouldn't trade anything for no. it. I don't want to go back doing that. No, kind of thing. <laughs> same, same, same. You know, and I, what I always said about the tractors, at the end of the day, you could look behind you and see what you got done. Today's modern world, that's hard to do. I sit in front of the computer at the end of the day. I'm not sure what I did. I spent 10 hours in front of that computer, but it's hard to say what all happened. Absolutely. I mean, I hate mowing the grass yeah. at the house, but at least... I can see that something's accomplished. There's a sense of accomplishment. So I will say that about hard work. You know, when you look behind you and see that field plow, you know you worked a hard day. But I got a feeling your background helps set a work ethic. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that's what I was taught early on is a hard day work. That's that's the reward in itself. It is a reward so, in itself. Yep. So, so where you got? Where'd you get into writing, or so through the editing, or anything like yeah, that? Yeah. So I, you know, I went to college and got an English degree and a Great Plains Studies degree, which is a lot of like history, sociology, the Great Plains, which uh, I grew up around all that Native American right. history and frontier history. I mean, I live right out on the old frontier, and um, you know, I didn't know, have a clue what I was into when I graduated <laughs> college. Hey, English degree? What do you do? And uh, I swore I'd never move back to Sydney, Nebraska, which is where I grew up, and that's where the home of Cabela's is. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, it was a great company, and I got a job offer to write catalog copy right out of college for Cabela's and I moved back to my hometown and I lived there ever since. <laughs> I can go back to a time when Cabela's had a one inch yeah. classified ad essentially yeah. for I think it was either six or twelve nymph flies. Yeah, hand tied flies. Hand tied flies. Dozen hand tied flies. That's how it all got started. And I remember ordering those and where I grew up I'd end up you know, grew up reading all these kind of things. Yep. I always thought bone fishing would be fantastic. Well, we <laughs> yeah. didn't have any bone fishing no, in Colorado no. County, Texas. Yeah, probably not. But we had a whole bunch of what we called suckers or carp. Oh, yeah, that's right. And in that clear water, you, what I'd do is I'd, find, I'd spot them out there, yeah. and I'd start working that fly and lay down that fly in front of them, and they'd come suck that little oh, bitty old nymph up, yeah. and the fight was on by oh, okay. they, And that's just like a freshwater bone fish in my neck of the woods. So, <laughs> so that's where I go back with Cabela's. Yeah. And years ago, every time we went to Colorado or any place, no matter which way we went, you went through Sydney, Nebraska that's, to go by the Cabela's yeah, store. The old, I grew up three blocks from that store, that old really? brick building downtown. I used to go in there. I wore those guys out because it was on my way to school. I went to school on the north side, lived in the central part of town. So I walked by that store every day on my way to school. And I bet I stopped every day. <laughs> so. Interesting how things come together. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're working for them. Yeah, yeah. So I worked for them for a dozen years. I started writing catalog copy. And there was really no like marketing or PR department. So we did that as well right. a little bit. Um, Joe Arterburner was my boss. He's a great guy. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. and we can go back. I know you go back to him a long ways. And uh, so then we started our own PR and marketing department, hired other co catalog copywriters to do that part of the job. And worked. At, I wrote everything from speeches for the CEO to press releases to you name it. I wrote it. If it came out of that building on a piece of paper, I probably was behind it, or one of us was on that staff. So. Well, I've always admired that company. I worked with Bass Pro for a mm -hmm. long time. We first started when and Johnny March just had the one store. We had what was called mm -hmm. the Redhead Pro Hunting Team. And it was yeah. Walter Parrott, who was a turkey guy, mm -hmm. Jerry Martin, who was a dear friend of, of Johnny Marsh's, Bob Folkroth, yep. and me. Yeah. And to start with, we would have to approve almost any hunting product that was in that store. Yep. And then they started expanding it, you know, and they started expanding the stores. And, and at the time, I was doing PR work for Thompson Center, and uh, among other things. And I just didn't feel right about representing one store. Mm. So I, I left the Redhead Pro Hunting Team. But in the process of that, I got to meet Mr. Mike Callahan. Yeah, good good friend. And Mike and I would be on hunts, and it was Bass Pro against Cabela's. Yeah. And we developed a kind of a relationship yeah. because of that. And so when I, he heard it, he said, you need to come with me. He said, I, we're opening a store in, I think it was Grand Junction, that first okay. one that I went with. Yep. And uh, 
I showed up, and you can see all the Cabela's guys that work for Cabela's in the store. What's he doing exactly. here? Why is that Bass Pro infiltrating <laughs> yeah, out there? Exactly. Of course, Mike had, a, had a, got a big kick out of it. Yeah. And over the years, I went to several the, uh, the uh, Cabela store opening kind of things, and uh, then saw the companies finally come together. Come together. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because for you know it was always that rivalry, but it was always a friendly rivalry. You yes. know, I knew guys like you that were on the Bass Pro side, but we were all good friends. We oh, were all on the same well, goal, and that's to promote hunting. You know, I went on those kind of things. I've always looked like looked at it like this every company regardless whether it's gun company ammo company they've got a market share yeah and i'd rather have 10 percent of a million than i'd have 10 percent of a thousand yeah and so to me the more hundred people we could get into the outdoors 100%. you know maybe your market share didn't increase yeah percentage wise yeah but your sales darn sure yeah 100 percent 100 percent so yeah that was always a good rivalry but i enjoyed it oh so. absolutely that's both like i said absolutely fantastic companies like i got to hunt with uh dick and mary one time oh, and years ago and mr jim too yeah now yeah. he was rather quiet yeah jim was a very quiet guy uh dick and mary so i grew up like i said in sydney one of my best friends was david cabello dick and mary's son oh yeah yeah and so david and i've been good friends since we were in grade school and so i spent a lot of time with dick and mary's house we never realized who they were they were just my friend's parents i didn't realize they were you know what they were and just the friendliest nicest people and when i you know when i worked at cabell's they'd come when they were in the office a few times a year for like bonus day or something they right. thanked us all personally you shook them their hand they said yes. thank you it was an amazing thing and jim came to work you know dick and mary spent a lot of time traveling they loved to hunt they were in right. africa a lot or around the world jim also loved to hunt but he also loved to work and he was yeah. in the office every day every day i walked by jim's office and he'd be in there i hunted with him down in south texas and uh, I bet we, over the course of a seven-day hunt, I heard him say about 15, <laughs> 20 words. Yeah. And it's usually good morning or good night. Yeah. He's <laughs> very friendly, but very quiet. He had a sign on his desk that said, be brief, be blunt, be gone. Be gone. He was all business, all business. <laughs> Another funny story, Cabell's is a very frugal company. You were encouraged oh, yes, to sir. save money. And he had a stapler on his desk. It didn't have any staples in it because a paperclip you can re reuse. A staple, staple used what you used once. And that was his point about having a staple. Because you'd go in there and you want to staple something. There wouldn't be a staple. And he'd be like, no, use a paperclip because you can reuse them. That's how frugal Jim was, which is probably why he is who he is today. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's some good old – I love some of those good old stories from Cabela's. I mean, it was a great company to work for. Oh, Lordy. I can only imagine. Well, you, when you, where did you start writing? I mean, you said so, yeah. you started writing copy there. But yeah, so I wrote a really copy. I freelanced a little stuff. bit while I worked at Cabell's, but I just didn't have time. And plus, I didn't, you know, I was I was working with writers that were making a living at it, and I didn't feel right. bad taking money out of their right. mouth. But then, you know, Cabell's, it was a great company, but it got a little corporate. It went public, got yeah. a little bit corporate, and I just didn't enjoy that corporate environment anymore. And I was single. I had a dog. And I said, if I could get out, I always want to be a writer. That's always I've always wanted to do. So I said, if I can just freelance write and feed me and my dog. I kill enough ducks and geese and deer during the year. I can feed myself as long as I can feed my hungry lab, which he was a big lab, but he ate a lot. But I, I think I can do this. You know, I, I live in a little, little tiny house that I was able to pay off. So I didn't have a lot of bills and quit in 2010 just to start writing. And and, and after that, it was it was a great career. I had a lot of friends in the industry that helped me out. I mean, uh, Anthony Licata at Field and Stream and Mike Scobie at Peterson Sunning that were like, we were good friends and they gave me a chance. And I told them like, Give me a chance once, and if I screwed up, don't give me another Absolutely. chance. Yeah. Like, I appreciate the friendship, but if I'm not worthy, don't keep just giving me cover of friends. Exactly. And it seemed to work out. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I go back to a different generation kind of mm -hmm. thing with uh, Zumbo yep, and, exactly. and Boddington does great. Yeah. John Wooders and oh, some of those yeah. guys. Those, were, yeah, the, seminal names. So. Really, you know, the fantastic writers of the time. And, and we all got to be friends because my background in terms of whitetail deer and, and deer management yeah. and all that kind of thing, that opened the doors to so many different things. You remember the first hunting article you wrote? 
Oh, let me think. I did some gear stuff early on. One of my first true hunting articles was a story. I did a do-it-yourself caribou hunt in 2006. I still worked at Cabell's and we were doing a magazine at Cabell's called Cabell's Outfitter Journal for oh, a while, absolutely. which yeah. I was involved in that too. So I wrote a back page article called, I think it was called The Grand Time. And it was about my trip and to do-it-yourself. And that was like my first big adventure. Like I said, I'd shot some deer in college, shot a lot of waterfowl. I think I'd shot just a few white tails and I, I saved up my money and went on to do it yourself. My first adventure hunt and it changed my life. It really did. And so I wrote that. I think that's my first really, you know, narrative style hunting right. article was that a grand time about a caribou hunt in Alaska. So, and now you're into editing and you were talking off camera yeah. a little bit. You, you're not getting the opportunity to write quite as that's, much as what yeah. you used to. So now it's an editor in chief of uh, Peterson Sunning. Now I edit everybody else's writing and I don't have time <laughs> to do my own. And to, to be fair, I, I have like body time. I staff, Joseph I'm Benedict. I have some of the, the great names out there and they do a good job. So my editing job isn't super tough, but it's just still administrative, yeah. making sure people get paid on time laying out the magazine and I don't have time to write. And that's really the toughest part of my job because yeah. I love it. I'd rather write than do anything else. Yeah, I can, I can totally understand that. I, yeah. I love to write as well too. And you mentioned Joseph Von Benedict. I had the opportunity to spend time around Joseph several different times mm -hmm. on the FTW ranch is where I really got the first meeting. Yeah. I really like that young man. Yeah. He, he's a young man as far as I'm concerned. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. but with unbelievable great experience. Yeah. And, and great writer. And great writer. Great, great shot. And, and so knowledgeable oh about ballistics gracious. and all that stuff. And that, yeah. that's not where my strongest suit is. I'm a... For me, a gun is a tool, it's a hammer, you know? And to him, he knows the specifics of the ballistics and everything. And so he's a great resource to have on staff and Boddington as well. I can call Boddington about any question about any game animal in the world, stuff I don't even heard of. A reader will ask me like, where can I go shoot a three-toed three Zork? And he'll tell me the best outfitter in the middle of Tajikistan to hunt that. Boddington is a, a wealth of information. He blows me away every time. He does me too. I got to meet him years ago before he was the editor of Peterson's mm -hmm. And I sold my first thing peterson hunter under the name of les lawrence it was john wooders used to wear a, a western hat yep. that was camouflage yes, sir. and so my first story to them to peterson's was about creating your own john Wooders style <laughs> years ago yes. and i think basil bradbury was was yep, editor, he was editor, editor for a short period of time for sure and so. uh then i got to meet craig and craig was one of the great helps as far as i was concerned in my writing career because we got to know each other through john wooders mm -hmm. primarily and and uh I would send him manuscripts when he was editor, and he'd go, Larry, I can't use this, but if you'll do this, this, and this, send it to this magazine. Oh, no kidding. So, I mean, he was an absolutely great help during that's that time. That's amazing. Probably. Yeah, that's I'd, good. I'd get back copy, and it'd be all marked red, you know, and they almost <laughs> held, go, oh, God, what? <laughs> yeah. But he was such a great help in helping me take different approaches, and he said, you know, look at it from this angle kind of thing. Oh, that's And great. then the same thing, too. As years went by, I started on staff with shooting time with a bunch of other more mm -hmm. technical yeah. guns. I'm never, never really into that, yeah. but it was a step to get me to where I wanted to go. Be. And yep. so, you know, you kind of got to learn that kind of way. Boddington is, is a really interesting guy in so many different ways. I, I spent, we used to have the NRA Grady Mark Hunters trip. Uh, yeah, Zumbo was on that with you. Zumbo well. was on yeah. that with me. Yep. I spent a bunch of time with Wooders, yep. but Craig and I spent six weeks driving every day somewhere oh. most of the time spending the same you know in the same room at night kind yeah. of thing so i really got to know craig over that <laughs> yeah, of time. so but 
there's so many great people. You're now into the 50th year of yeah. Peterson's Hunting. Yeah, this is our 50th year anniversary. It started November issue 1973 by Bob Peterson, who's the guy behind Hot Rod Magazine, Four Wheeler, but he was in Guns and Ammo. He was a huge car guy, a huge gun guy, and a big time hunter. Yeah, he sir. got tired of reading. You know, six months of the year he subscribed to, or he subscribed to Field Trip Outdoor Life, but six months of the year those are fishing magazines. Right. Basically, he got tired of wading through all that fishing stuff to get gun stuff, and he said, "I'm going to start my own hunting magazine." And here we are, 50 years later. It, it blows my mind today. We're still the biggest print hunting magazine out there. Yeah, so, and rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, it's been it, to, and to look at the list of people like yourself that have been in those pages for the 50th anniversary. I got to go back to our home office, which is in Peoria, Illinois, now, and go through every issue. And to see the names and the legacy is amazing of the people that have been there, from Craig Boddington to Basil Brasbury, John Wooders, Bob Millick, um, all those great old timers that just imparted so much knowledge to the generation. And that kind of, you know, before that, there wasn't all that stuff. You had some guys back in the 40s, 50s, but it really blew up in the 70s. And we just kind of rode that crest. And it was good to see and, and amazing for me to be a part of it. It's, I pinch myself every day. <laughs> I, really, I really do. I mean, I'm the 10th editor in 50 years. And the names that have gone before me, Jack O'Connor was our first editor. Absolutely, like, yes. I can't believe I'm on that list. <laughs> I don't know if I'm worthy sometimes, <laughs> that, that, but that, I, I do. That's <laughs> the way I felt when I had a, you know article yeah. in the magazine kind yeah. of thing. I very remember, well remember the first issue. There's mm -hmm. a bighorn sheep. You got cover. it. Yeah. And I was I worked I was working as a wildlife biologist and we had a, our, one of our offices was in Kerrville and mm -hmm. I stopped at this little convenience store and here's this new magazine with a list of writers. O'Connor's name was yeah, on there. He was I've real big a, on there. Elmer Keith was Elmer, also in the first Elmer issue, Keith was and in those that two one. hated each other. He would never write for it again because he didn't want his name in the same magazine as Jack O'Connor. That's how big. <laughs> and I, I've always heard that O'Connor didn't really think of it as that big of a rival. It's no, no big deal to him. But you know, Elmer Keith, he was a, he was a scrappy individual. Yes, he was. <laughs> to put it politely. <laughs> I never really got to meet him. I, I've heard so many Elmer Keith yes. stories uh, yeah. with some of the era writers that I was around with. That was phenomenal. But that issue, I looked at it and I go, my God. It's all hunting, yeah. you know, and it was the same kind of thing. And I saw the, I mean, the editor, and I saw the who the who the writers were, and mm -hmm. I kind of paged through it. And so I ended up by ended up buying two copies. Actually, I bought one. And I thought, well, this is going to go somewhere. Yeah. So I bought a second one, and, and several yeah. years later, I gave that other copy away. But I yeah. still got that first cut issue. That's amazing. Yeah. There's not many of them out there. Uh, there's in our home office, the number one issue is actually missing, and I had a reader send me issues copy one and two. So there's really? not a lot of ones out there. So hold oh on. To that. I, I, I believe me, I will. I <laughs> I promise you I will. Um, what do you enjoy most about the editing side of this? I think it's still the education. I'm still learning every day. Like you would think in 50 years of the magazine, we've talked about everything, but the tactics are always changing. And there's also challenges that are always changing. We've always been a voice for hunters and conservation yes, and have. leadership. The very first, the main headline on the very first issue, I think it's the first issue said, I organized the anti-hunting freaks. And it was, it was always about... Um, I think that's one of the reasons Bob started too, Pete Peterson. I mean, he really saw the anti-hunting movement come of age in the 70s. Right. That's really where it started. And he yes. rose to that challenge. And we've always tried to be that voice as well. And you have. Yeah. You have. So, oh, thank my you. gosh. Thank you. That, so. Where do you go from here? Oh, I, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> bear don't, hunting. Yeah, really? bear hunting. You know, I, I get to do a lot of cool <laughs> things. That's one of the perks of the job. But I, I'm going to keep doing it for a while. I, I'm the type of guy, though, that I, I have a great young kid working for him, Joe Farinato. I think he's the future of the magazine. And I Love and I, and I want to get out of the way of him. So I think, you know, I'll keep doing what I do for a few more years. And then I'll probably go back to writing it sometime because yeah. that's what I miss. That's what I want to do is I just want to write hunting stories for our readers. Yeah, that's so. one of the things about being of the age that I 
am. I can kind of cherry pick what I do. And yeah. if editor says, I want you to do this, and I go, no, yeah. I really don't want to do that. Let me suggest you yeah. go call so-and-so. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I, you know, it's funny as an editor, I respect that. Because when I freelance wrote for the long time, I said yes to everything. Because when you're... Oh, I did too. You're depending on that check. <laughs> you, you'll say yes. And you hang up the phone and go, I don't have no idea how I'm going to write that, but I, I'm going to do it. And then you get to a point where, like you said, you get comfortable and it's okay to say no. And as an editor, I appreciate that because I don't want... I don't want your half-ass work. I want your best no, work. No, 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 and if no, you're going to no. do something that you're not passionate about, don't do it. Tell me no, and Absolutely. then I'll, I'll say, perfect. Well, what are you passionate about? And you tell me an idea. I'm like, okay, I want that instead, and I'll go to somebody else who can write that story. So I love it. I love it when a writer says no to me. It's, that's a strange thing to say, but as an editor, it's, it makes me know that I'm getting your better work. Well, and to me, that's what it's supposed to be. I want to go back to you, you mentioned the changes and somewhat. Mm -hmm. Up until the time that John Wooder started writing about hunting mature whitetail, yeah. there was a photographer named Jerry Smith. Okay. Jerry would, was photographing deer on the King Ranch. Up to then, most of the photographs were provided of deer by Lenny Lee LaRue. Oh, yes, that's right. And Lenny only could photograph deer that lived to be about two years of age. Uh -huh. Well, John started writing about the mature whitetail yep. hunting them. Jerry started shooting photographs of it. And I remember there's one issue that shows a whole bunch of big whitetail bucks yeah. on, you know, kind of in, in a grassy field kind of thing. <laughs> to me, you hear so much about these guys. This guy claims, oh, I, I was the guy who started whitetail industry. Yeah. This guy, no, the two guys that started the whitetail industry through Peterson's hunting. Yep where John Wood is writing about it and Jerry Smith showing what a deer could look like if he got to be five or six years old. And later. that's funny because that's one thing I really learned going through the archives. I always knew John Wooders was, he was the deer guy. I always knew that, but I didn't know that he was the original deer guy. There was no single column dedicated no. to white-tailed deer hunting no. until Buck since in 19, oh, I'm going to probably get this wrong, 75 or 76. He went to the editor and said, I want to write just about whitetails. Yeah. The editor thought he was crazy like this. Because back then, everybody hunted everything. It wasn't the right. like today where you're a whitetail specialist. Like There really wasn't that. No, and you no, went hunting, no, no. whatever. And it was squirrel season, you went squirrel hunting. And, and he said, no, there's a market out there for whitetail deer. And he really started that with that buck sense call. He really did. Mm -hmm. yeah. John was was a very dear friend in, in, in so many different ways. And, I, I, and a manner as well. And an amazing writer. Fantastic uh, writer. It, it, we ran a leopard hunting story from him yes. in our 50th anniversary issue. And it's like, he's Mr. Whitetail. But that leopard hunter story was fantastic. That was, to me, I mean, I loved all the stuff that he's written yeah. but that was always one of my favorite mm -hmm. kind of things so we ran that in the 50th because it was so good and i know like you said like i said he's the white tail guy but he can write about anything and he was an excellent writer they, and they, prolific unbelievably very prolific. prolific great sense of humor but very dry sense of humor yeah, so kind of right. thing so a lot of people probably don't know this john was the consummate joke teller we, when we he and i did uh, an nra tour together mm -hmm. where we were together like three weeks i'd drive John would sit over here on the right and tell jokes. <laughs> and he would tell a joke, and he would tell jokes after another, after another, after another, after another, <laughs> and for days on end, and never repeat Seriously? the same joke. <laughs> it was amazing in that respect. John, how do you remember yeah, all these exactly. things? We I go, can remember like one joke, maybe. I don't even <laughs> no, know that. That's, that's and it's off color, so I can't, don't ask me to tell. <laughs> no, no. Hopefully there are a few kids watching yeah, this, uh, exactly. and, and probably some concerned parents exactly. as well, too. So we'll stay away from those kind of things. But absolutely, uh, to, to me, Peterson's hunting has always been the publication when it came to, to the outdoors. Yeah. I, I love to fish. Mm -hmm. 
but I really no longer enjoy reading about fishing, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of thing, unless there's something really special, if, it, if there's a good story involved. Good story involved, exactly. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated about Peterson hunting. You do allow the writer to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. And I want to start doing that more again. It's been challenging in recent years because page counts are down a little bit. We're not right. as thick as we used to be. Um, but I just love, after reading all these 50th anniversary, I just read one of the best stories I've ever written or read, and it ran in our 1983 issue, Ross Say freed about hunting in the cassiers yes. and he was one of the first guys to go back in there after it had been closed for like two decades and just the amount of game but he told a great story it was him and his kid on a high school graduation and we're going to run that in our august issue it just went to press because it was such a great story so i'm running some flashback features from some of those old ones so yeah. i love a good hunting story that's what got us all into it was Absolutely. reading those hunting stories and ross too is a great writer yeah it was i was amazed by that and i, I never met ross i didn't know i mean i knew his name i knew yeah. he was in the industry but i'd never been able to interact with him that way and to read that story was amazing i got to sit around a few campfires with him over the years yeah. kind of thing yeah. he, he was as good a storyteller as he was a good storyteller writer yeah that's <laughs> great and you know it's funny because there's those guys but i still have like it's joseph von benedict a great writer oh. Another kid named Colton Heward that I just, he was my mule deer guide a few years ago in Utah. And he said he wanted to be a writer and I gave him a chance and he's an, like, there's still a young, yes. it makes me feel good that there's this young generation that still wants to tell stories. Because a lot of the younger generation, it seems like are all video or photograph driven, which is great because that's another great medium that we're oh, into as well. Yeah. But I still love to read a good story. And it's good to see these young kids that like to tell a good story. And we went through a period of time with all due respect to not your editors, but yeah. others who yeah. had no knowledge of the outdoors, oh, no sure. workings on firearms, yeah. bows, whatever. Yeah. And so a lot of it was a recipe how-to thing. Mm -hmm. And to me, those are fine to a point, yeah. but I've learned over the years, you can go back to the Bible and tell parables. And you <laughs> yeah. learn more from parables than you do from reading a recipe. Yeah. And to me, that's always been kind of the, the uh, approach that I like to take out of all this it, it as has a writer been, and as a reader. Yeah, too. and it has been interesting as as the editor now to look at, and some of those other publications are great, but they're they were editors first and they're not hunters first. And if you look at the list of that came before me, every one of those guys, most of them didn't have any writing or editing experience, but they were like Craig Boddington. Basil Brasbury was a, one of the most acclaimed international hunters of his oh time. God. And, you know, and they were hunters first. And that's kind of always been, I, I feel like I'm not worthy to be on the list because some of those guys have hunted way more than I did. And I'm probably more on the edit side than, and the writing side, but I've hunted enough that I feel respectful. And I can I can talk about it in camp, which you some people have, don't You know how camp. Bradbury got started? No, he's an international filmmaker or something, wasn't he? Well, I don't know, I don't know a lot it, about him because he he he's, he, he's a mystery in this, he, in this he, thing. He is, he is. But there used to be a, a very wealthy oil man out of Dallas, uh, same era of O'Connor, mm -hmm. named Herb Klein. Okay, I've heard of Herb Klein. Herb Klein was uh, like the second winner of the Weatherby Award. Oh, okay, that's where I saw it. And he was also the one who supported Weatherby years ago in terms of dollars. Yeah. But uh, at that time, Herb Klein was hunting all over the world, and he that's when he got Bradbury involved into filming his Filming his hunts, yeah, because Basil was doing some like Hollywood director type yes. stuff. He had some he, Hollywood movies. He was doing yeah. that, but he went from, that's where that's where, oh, the, that's the, transition. where the transition came. Gotcha. So, yeah. uh, in our DSC office, there's a whole bunch of photographs of him and, and Herb Klein oh, together. Gotcha. Kind yeah. of thing. And so yeah. we've got a bunch of the heads that Herb Klein shot years ago, some of the most okay. phenomenal sheep you can ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, back in but, those days, when people go on 30 day safaris and hunt all sorts of stuff, or go to British Columbia in the Yukon and spend three weeks there, I'm like, I want to do that, <laughs> but I got to get back to the office and get to work. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, well, 
you shot a bear. I want you to tell your bear story. Yeah. And then I want to come back in about, oh, maybe six weeks, about the time we get into the hunting season. Yeah. I'll give you a call or I'll, I'll, I'll meet you somewhere. Perfect. And we'll talk about some more of your personal hunting yeah, experience. Yeah, for sure. But let's talk about this bear yeah. and a little bit about what you use particularly. Yeah, so um, we came up here to this bear camp, uh, Wally Max Bear Camp here in Alberta. I've been here about a decade ago, and we all shot good bears up here. Um, but you know, with the COVID, this is basically been closed down for a couple of years. Yeah, sure. And the quality of bears blows me away. We oh, killed, gosh. I think, six bears in camp, all over seven all foot. All over seven foot. Unbelievable. Yeah. When I was here last time, like a six foot, six inch bear was a good bear. I mean, that's a good bear anywhere. That is a that's good a bear. great bear anywhere. But up here, they're like, no, hold out. You'll price something bigger. And I told myself, I've killed a lot of bears. Probably, I don't even know how many bears all over the world, Alaska, New Mexico. <laughs> I, I enjoy bear hunting. And I just thought, I, I'm going to wait and I'm not going to shoot the first bear I see. I'm not going to shoot the first bear I see. Well, I shot <laughs> and it happened to be an absolutely great yeah, bear. It's a great bear. It's over seven foot bear. I mean, I couldn't turn it down on day, on day one. Well, it's funny because, you know, this is a five-day hunt, but we got here early, so we actually had an extra day, and I had it on the, before we got the even started. Yeah. <laughs> got the bonus bear before we ever but, got started. But, yeah, but, and I, and it's funny, I shot it with a shotgun, and so... Uh, this is close range stuff. You know, these baits are 20 yards away, if maximum, that. Yeah, if maximum. That. That I've so, so uh, you know, we're up here with Mossbergs. A lot of guys are shooting the Patriot and 7 PRC, which is a great round. I love the 7 PRC. But I decided this close range stuff, I've been shooting the Mossberg 940 Pro. I took it to Argentina last year. I've been shooting waterfowl with it at home. And I actually decided I'm going to try to shoot a bear with a shotgun. So that's what I did on day one. And what did you use for ammo? So it's a horn, yeah, Hornaday American Gunner one ounce rifled slug. So because it's smooth bore shotgun, I don't have a rifle barrel for that oh, yet. So I should, you don't. Okay. No, they're not available for the 940 Pro yet. So I it's a oh, well, I knew bore. they were making them. I yeah. are going to make them, but I didn't they're realize not there they yet. Not so yet yeah, made. so I shot a rifled slug, the American gun, Gunner from Hornady. So and that, cool. that one ounce of lead did did, uh, did okay on that big old bear. <laughs> he did run, but he ran about ten yards. <laughs> that you know those are blood trails you don't mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't, he didn't even need. Didn't even need that because I saw him go down. <laughs> but you killed a great bear as well. I, so. I did. I was using seven PRC and, yep. and uh, or seven millimeter PRC, mm -hmm. and, and my bear went all of about a step. Oh yeah. And then I shot him a second yeah, time, but he was down. Bullet but, testing, right? Bullet testing, and actually we recovered a bullet because of because oh, that did? was part of what Fantastic. I wanted to do yeah. out of all this as well too. So yep. this is a two bear unit. Yep. There's a lot of big, obviously black. Everything yep. we shot so far has been black. But there's also a lot of color phase bears here. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's kind of what I thought because I I've killed a few a few color face bears. My New Mexico bear and my Idaho bear both were, and my Wyoming bear, mountain bears. But this one, I was like, I'm gonna try to hold out for a big. Either my girlfriend's been up here too, and she's killed two giant bears with Wally. So I'm like, I gotta kill one bigger than hers, so, so I can get my space in front of the fireplace back. There you go, because <laughs> that's where her bear is right now. But uh, so I thought, oh, she's a really big color face. But like I said, I the first bear I saw, I did watch him for a while. I didn't shoot him right away. <laughs> Well, I'll tell my story some other time, but yeah. I didn't watch mine very long. <laughs> you and knew. I came up here to uh, to get some footage, and the bear stepped yeah. out, and I, it had the camera up. And unfortunately, I, I was self-filming, so was, I had the camera behind this tree, and the bear was behind that oh, tree. Oh, yeah, kind of that's that self-filming's so, a challenge. Uh, but the bear went down very, very quickly, and this is a fabulous area to come to. Yeah. And uh, we'll give, through the show notes, we'll give Wally's yeah. information and all okay. those kind of things. A little bit more information, maybe, too, about the gun that you use and the ammo that you use yep. as well, too. And, and uh, some of these other guys have done as well. Yeah, exactly. And this is literally the second day of the hunt. Yeah. You know, yesterday was the first day. The day before was the first first day. So we still got three or four more days, and we both all we all have an extra tag. So 
Hopefully we'll take some more bears home. So. Hopefully there's a big old color fade bear and oh, yeah, we'll it's, see. It's bigger yeah. than your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Oh. Well, David, I want to tell you how much I appreciate oh, you being on the fun. show. It's Doug. been fun hanging out in camp with you uh, too, Larry. And, and like we're I said, not finished. We, we've known each other for of each other for a long time, met here and there, but we've never got to spend time in hunting camp. So. I got tickled. I saw your name on the list and I knew that you and Jim Zumbo knew each other. Oh, yeah. So I immediately I, I sent a message to Zumbo. Tell me about this David yeah. Draper guy. And he goes, <laughs> Oh, you're going to love this guy. He is so much fun well, having camp. Jim might be lying, but I, I'll take it. I'll, I do pay his bills, so. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you do. Come to think of it. I didn't think about no, it. No, way. no, no. Jim and I have been good friends. You. So, if yeah. somebody wants to get in touch with you, either probably through Peterson Hunting, what is the best way to do so? Yeah, so um, hunting at Peterson, oh, sorry, hunting at outdoorsg.com is my email. Okay. So, and send me an email. You can also follow me on social media at Feral Fork or at Peterson's Hunting, either one. I'm all over the Instagram. Repeat so. that. The first one is at Feral Fork, because I'm a bit feral and I love to eat. So it's Feral at Fork. Feral Fork. Yeah, okay. so that's my Instagram <laughs> handle. And then also uh, at Peterson's Hunting, where we run a lot of good hunting content on that. So if, if it's mine, you'll see pictures of my lab and you'll see pictures of food, because that's all I have. <laughs> Which brings up the other thing that we'll talk about next time yeah. when we get together, because Jim was telling me that you're pretty... Fair, fair hand around the kitchen. Uh, I like to camp. eat. I'm just going to say I like to eat. I grew up a latchkey kid. Both my parents worked. So I learned to cook at an early age if I wanted to eat. <laughs> well, David, again, thank you so much yeah. for joining us here. At Larry, the it's been a pleasure, man. It's so, been my pleasure. Yeah. We will get together again very Any, soon. Anytime. Give me and a here as well, too. I hope but, so. Uh, so. Ladies and gentlemen, join us right back here next week on DSC's Campfire. Appreciate y'all being with us. DSC's Campfires has also been brought to you by the Crown Bar in the Grange and Round Top, Texas, Texas Wildlife Association, Double Nickel Taxidermy, H3 White Till Solutions, and Burnham Brothers Game Calls.